promises to be quite a busy day in Canadian soccer circles. Both the Canadian men's national team and Toronto FC have winnable but important matches ahead. You are listening to the Footy Talks podcast. My name is Mitchell Tierney and on this week's show Joshua Cloak of The Athletic is back on to chat about both of those teams as well as a recent trip to Germany and what he learned about Canada's biggest star. Josh, thanks for joining me. Of course. Well, let's, uh, let's start with Toronto FC as we often do on this show. Uh, I don't want to dwell on it too much as it was uh, almost a week ago, but uh, Toronto FC's 1-1 draw with the New England Revolution. Um, I, I think a result that at the time certainly seemed very difficult for the club. I know they, they basically had three points on the table and, and uh, a bit of a goaltending gaffe meant that uh, they only came out with one, but um, and and I guess the, the ramifications of well uh, as well of the fact that they could have passed New England in the standings, but uh, you know, at the end of the day, one point on the road is is another decent result for the club, as as they seem to be slowly um, but surely building a bit of momentum right now in in the Eastern Conference playoff race. Yeah, I mean, New England's always been a very tough place for TFC to play, and and you know, this was no different last week. Um, the thing that kind of stuck out to me is just. It's been their kind of inability to, to really put a stranglehold on games. And you don't want to go back to, to 2017 and that team too often. But this was a team that, you know, when they got a lead, it was very clear they were going to keep that lead. And we haven't seen a lot of that um, for prolonged stretches of time with this TFC club. We haven't seen their ability to, to, again, take a lead and really dominate the rest of the game. I think back to the Columbus match as well, which was a pretty frustrating result for the team you know Osorio sends the team up one nil and then they give up two quickly afterwards and it's 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 just kind of been for the team a a frustrating kind of season because they you know they obviously have the quality they have the experience but what they haven't shown is that kind of patience and that ability to just play their game as cliched as that is play their game and and believe in what they're doing because there's always just been kind of this frantic energy to this team this season and I think that's probably really bothering Greg Vanny with just a handful of games left right oh definitely and that's certainly something that you want to see kind of evening itself out especially as you come towards these important months of the season leading into the playoffs uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, a bit of a gaffe, um, whether it's skipped off the turf or, or what have you, uh, the the goal that Toronto FC conceded in this game was was certainly a bit down to uh, the the fault of Quentin Westberg. And anytime something like this happens, especially with, um, as you mentioned, the kind of frantic pace of Toronto FC's season this year, there's always going to be some questions about whether Toronto should uh, make a change at the goaltending position. Um, Alex Bono has, uh, I don't know, I guess somewhat inexplicably been sitting in the wings in terms of you know what he's done in the past and how quickly Quentin Westberg took over as the goalkeeper. I think the the main issue, perhaps, in, in terms of Bono winning his spot back, is what Quentin Westberg gives you in terms of distribution and, and playing out of the back and how capable he is of that and what that means to Toronto FC's system as it is right now. Uh, do you foresee? any real chance that, that Bono gets back in net for anything other than the Canadian Championship down the stretch, or is this just um, a one blip maybe for, for Westberg? 
Yeah, I would call it a blip because, again, Greg Vanny is, is trying hard this season to really create a kind of calming presence on the team. And, and you know, rotating your goalkeepers after one blunder doesn't really send a very calming message throughout the dressing room, does it? Um, I, I think you're right to an extent that, that, you know, Bono's benching has been kind of inexplicable, especially considering this team wants to make a deep playoff run and they think they have enough to go, you know, into November. So why not kind of, you know, maybe why not give Bono a few games here and there just to maintain his sharpness. Um, but again, what Westberg brings you is that kind of veteran presence, and he brings you, like you said, that distribution in the back. Um, Bono's struggled at times when he comes off his line to kind of to be calm and composed with the ball. Um, and I think, you know, Vanny... Vanny is a loyal guy. Vanny sticks to his guys. And, and as ironic as that might sound, considering that he did win an MLS Cup with Alex Bono, you know, he, he's seen enough from Quentin Westberg this year to believe that he's that kind of calm veteran that he wants. So it, it's, it's tough. I think the Canadian Championship games are good for Bono, but I do think there will be, you know, some necessary reassessment at the end of this season as term, in terms of what his role is going to be moving forward. Because again, like a lot of things with this team, it was, wasn't that long ago that his spot was, was solidified, but this is a guy who has never played anywhere else besides Syracuse, right? He came straight from the university of Syracuse to Toronto. And this has been his only kind of real stop along his, his journey, if you want to call it. So mm-hmm. this happens, right? And, and, and it's going to be a pretty serious test of his mettle in terms of, you know, whether he can, kind of regain his spot again but i i think these kind of things will will probably be decided you know in the off season right yeah and uh the new england game was was the second game now we've seen Toronto FC's uh new system i guess the system that greg vanny's been kind of hoping to play all year but now finally has you know the the wide players in order to do that with uh, Gallardo and and Benazé playing out wide, and then the striker up top, the the midfielder in behind them, and then the two defensive midfielders. Um, what have you kind of made of this system so far, and what the keys are going to be for it to be successful going forward in in this final stretch? Well, I'm glad it's finally happening because we've been talking <laughs> about it for what feels like a year now, and you know we finally have some kind of tape to kind of study and 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 watch because again this this demand for this these wide players again i feel like we've been having this conversation since late 2018 um you can tell being around the club that there's still a bit of frustration that it has taken this long in the season to both implement greg vanny's you know desired new system and to have these players you know at his disposal that makes that system possible. So I, I think there's still some kinks to be worked out, and I think there's a, some lingering frustration about how long it's taken. Um, you know, I remember when I talked to last spoke to Bill Manning in in June. He kind of talks about how he believes this this team's transition is going to take two full windows, and that was before the summer window closed. So I think you know, for Greg Vanny's system, if that's what we want to call it, to to really come to fruition it's going to take another window. You know, it's going to take some serious scouting because Benazé and Gallardo look to have a lot of talent, but are they long-term solutions with TFC? I don't know. And I don't know if the club knows either, right? So 
I don't I don't know how long Benazé is going to be here. You would think that Gallardo might be here a little bit longer, but I, I still think it's too soon to tell. Um, and it's difficult when you you have players that kind of were accustomed to playing a, a certain system. You know, we know how much success Fanny had with the three five two, and mm-hmm. now he's trying to change things up. So I, I still think we're a bit early in the process, right? Yeah, and there's not necessarily natural backups for those players as well. So um, when when you do see Benazé or Gallardo come off the pitch, you know you, you almost have to restructure uh, immediately. I know they have Schaffelberg and Delian who can both play wide, but both those players are, are, are a little bit different than what a Benazé or, or a Gallardo would bring. So they still kind of have to figure out that as well in, in the grand scheme of things. So like you said, definitely a work in progress as, as they try out this new system. Um, Toronto FC though in a in an all right spot at least in terms of making the playoffs. Um, currently sitting in seventh, uh, the final playoff spot, but a game in hand over uh, most of the teams around them. They have one more point than the Montreal Impact, who are currently in eighth right now. Um, I guess away dates are going to make it difficult down the stretch, but only two games remaining against teams who are currently in a playoff spot or reasonably close, I guess, to to making the playoffs. Uh, I guess a, a, a all right spot for Toronto FC right now. I mean, you probably feel better than you did two months ago, but they're by no means out of the woods. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a team that, that has these six games left. And like you said, there's some, on paper, some very winnable games, right? Cincinnati, Columbus, Chicago. These are games that TFC almost has to win. But again, what's been missing this season is the ability to go into games that you should win and, and just come out and win them. It's been a very strange up and down season. And would anybody be really that surprised, you know, after their result against Minnesota the other week? Would anybody be that surprised if TFC got a result against LA on the road? Probably not, because they've had a bit of an uptick in their performance lately. And, and this is what MLS is and probably always has been a strange league that's very strange to handicap. So I don't think TFC probably feel good until decision day. And, and you know, they, they know where they're standing, talking to some people in and around the club yesterday there's there's people within the club that believe they can go as high as 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 third and fourth and and get a home game there's people that believe that you know the goal is to just get in and and figure things out from there so there's there's still a lot of uncertainty but you do like the fact that they're starting to just show a little more composure and and the talent that they have on this roster is, is kind of coming through because that that's something that's also been puzzling is how this team and and i know spending doesn't always equal results but but spending you know usually does mean talent in some form and 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 you like to see that talent finally coming together right because there were long stretches throughout the summer where this team didn't look like the highest spending team in mls you know so it's there's there's some signs of improvement but again that we we're we're still a ways away from decision day, right? Yeah, we are. And um, what do you, what do you kind of think are should be the minimum expectations for Toronto? Obviously, the rest of the season is it is it just getting in, or I guess there's the Voyagers Cup looped into that as well in terms of uh, trying to get back to the Concacaf Champions League. Um, what do you, what do you think we should kind of expect from this team? Because you know, like you said, they have spent a lot of money. Um, there, there is a lot of talent in this group, but at the same time, you know, it is a bit of a forced transitional year after you lose uh, two pretty key players uh, late in the, the offseason. Well, first things first, I mean, the expectation for TFC 
if they are one of the highest spending teams in MLS, the expectation every year should be to, to should be to win the Voyagers Cup. I mean, that's just to me that that's just not a given, but that should be the bare minimum is to, is to win that trophy. Um, what really interests me is is not just you know the expectations because we could say playoffs, we could say first round, but to me, what's really interesting is what how will their finish dictate how heavy this transition is i mean if you make the playoffs and you win a road game is that enough for greg vanny to to keep his job and to be able to kind of be the man to lead this transition Uh, if you miss the playoffs does who stays right are you looking at everybody besides josie and and you know pozuelo and osorio staying and and if you win one game maybe a home game or if you win you know, two rounds. Like, what, what, what does that mean? And I think that's what's going to be really interesting. It's not just, okay, let's see what this team can do. It's very much a matter of what will happen this season. How much will that dictate who stays and who goes next season? Because I, I think there are some people within the club that are calling for them to to, to blow it up as, as, you know, serious a term as that is. But I, I think that how they perform when it matters the most, because again, we haven't seen them really put a stranglehold on games. If they can do that when it matters most, you know, you you have to believe that in some way this final stretch and how they finish is going to be a bit of an audition for, for some people to, to stay with the club, right? Because if it's going to be a transition, they have to be serious about it and they have to have a very clear plan about what they want this team to look like. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we could say that the expectations are playoffs are, you know, winning a, a winning the, that first game should not be out of the question. But again, how much does that impact who stays and who goes next year? That's what's really fascinating to me. Yeah, always wild how a few games in October can dictate so much about a club season in MLS. But uh, let's look ahead quickly to tomorrow's match. Uh, I, th- I think mm-hmm. you mentioned it's it's almost must win at this point. I mean, you're playing the last place team in MLS. Uh, I know yes. it's on the road, but at at this point, you know you 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 have to pick up all three points in games like that. Just, even from a mental standpoint of of being ready for the playoffs, these are clubs that you should be beating every time. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know how much I can add to that because <laughs> anything other than a win against a Cincinnati team that is shaping up to be a historically bad team, anything other than a win is is oof, I I really wouldn't want to be on the end of of those conversations afterwards. But yeah, the, the expectation is that you win on the weekend and, and anything else has to be a disappointment. Yeah. I guess the, the one thing making it a little bit tricky is the aforementioned Canadian men's national team game. Toronto FC did get a, a little lucky in the sense that the U S men's national team didn't call up very many of these players, but always the issue when you have international windows in and around MLS games, Toronto FC uh, injury wise looked to be without Justin Morrow, but uh, Frazier, Osorio, and Richie Larea out of that one as well. Um, the good news, of course, though, is that Josie Altador does look back and healthy, so uh, that, that's a bit of good news. But I did want to talk about Larea because obviously his first call up for uh, the Canadian men's national team, and what a story it's been. I mean, a, a player who came into camp uh, basically on trial, and everyone thought you know he might fit in as a backup midfielder, gets. 
uh, put into that fullback role. Greg Vanny sees something there in him and, and has really excelled in that role this season. I mean, um, I, I guess, you know, he, he's he's pushed himself into that first-choice conversation. I think tactically, uh, sometimes Aro is just a little bit more uh, assured, so that's why they have him there. But, um, you know, Lorea's looked quite good this season when, when they've needed him to. Yeah, it's interesting. You, a guy like Richie is is a you know kind of a project in a way. I mean, he signed on for I believe league minimum, and and he's one of these players, kind of like a Jacob Schaffelberg, that has just really surpassed all expectations. And and he's just played his way into the conversation in terms of first choice, uh, you know, starting eleven, and and that's great. You know, you you can't be entirely dependent on it, but there's always something important about having players on a roster that are fighting for their professional lives right and that's Mm -hmm. kind of what Richie is doing right now and he's made the most of it um you know Greg Vanny wants he said it many times before he wants his players at a seven every game not a two one game and a ten the next getting with Richie I mean he's a guy that can bomb up the wing if necessary and he's looked a bit like a winger at times but he's always a you know consistent and and that's something that's been lacking on this team. So you're good for Richie, and you know, here's hoping he gets uh, he gets some time with the national team as well because he was uh, he was up at uh, national team training yesterday, and he was in demand. People wanted to talk to him. People want to know about this story. And um, again, maybe from a from thirty thousand feet, this is the kind of thing that that uh, should prove to to people that there's a lot of talent in professional or, you know, a lot of Canadian talent in professional football that just kind of deserves a, a chance, right? Yeah, and that's a, that's a bit of a theme with of, of this camp as well for Canada with, uh, you know, guys like Marco Carducci coming in. I, I was struck by, we, we had an event Footy Talks did with um, with the Canadian men's national team uh, earlier this week, and I was struck by looking at the stage. You had Carducci alongside uh, Max Crepeau, who were two of the top prospects in the Canadian men's national team system, coming up in terms of the you know the youth stages, and and then all of a sudden their careers took different paths. I mean, if you don't have the Ottawa Fury for Crepeau, or you don't have uh, Foothills, and then cavalry for Carducci you you know you never know where they end up but now both of them are sitting um you know two and three in in the national team at the moment and Carducci earning the the first call up from the Canadian Premier League so um like you said the the, there's a lot of talent there but you know these new um these new opportunities that have been presented to these players all of a sudden is is unearthing some of these guys and and uh in that sense giving some guys a second chance yeah, and it's good for, for Herdman to kind of cast his net pretty wide and just see what he has, you know, because that's what I sometimes look at these camps again against, you know, teams like Cuba. No disrespect to Cuba, and you can't look past any opponent, but mm-hmm. I'm glad that, that Herdman is, is looking at these camps as a, an opportunity to truly see what he has kind of beyond the safest spots on the team. I mean, there are, there's a handful, probably a large handful of players that for the next you know, five years are going to be at every men's national team. And it's it's a good time to kind of see what you have and, and you know, see who's in form because that's what national team camps should be. They should be about, you know, capitalizing on players who are in form and, and have developed well at their club sides and, and, you know, can then bring some of that into the national team. Uh, I'm curious to see if Carducci 
does get minutes. You've got two games and you've got what looks to be three very capable goalkeepers. Um, but again, like if, if, if things go well for Canada pretty early on, maybe you see Carducci get some minutes. We'll see. But um, it, again, it's good for Herdman to kind of just to, to, to kind of give guys experience and, and showcase that. And it, he's not, I have no doubt that he's, he's not doing this just solely for the benefit of, of the Canadian Premier League. But it's good to have someone to kind of knock down the door you know, in Carducci and, and, and show that, you know, this, the, the CPL can be a pathway. And if you're interested in the growth of Canadian soccer, which I, you know, assume if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, that, you know, it's it's good to see guys get their chances because that will only help with player recruitment and that will only help grow the CPL in the future, right? Yeah, well, and uh, Herdman also mentioned Tristan Borges and Ryan Telfer as players who he, they were considering to call up for this camp. Of course, Telfer now with the Trinidad and Tobago set up, so we'll see um, you know, what happens there, whether he ends up being cap-tied to, to that system. But uh, the, the main point of interest, I guess, in this camp is, is and is probably going to be going forward for the next little bit, the, the defensive setup for Canada. They've got Sam Atacubi coming in, Juan Cordova and Steven Vittoria in terms of new options on top of uh, the aforementioned Larea. So uh, I guess an opportunity here over two games for Canada to, to get some new looks at, at, at uh, you know, across a back line that uh, uh, especially out wide was, was pretty shaky at the Gold Cup and ended up um, for, for the most part, being their undoing at that tournament. Yeah, I would be very surprised if the defensive setup we see against Cuba is the same as what we saw in the Gold Cup. And, and even further, I'd be surprised if the defensive setup we see against Cuba and the States is is the same defensive setup that we see once we get into the real you know, serious qualifiers. I don't think John Herdman knows exactly what... I don't want to say what the plan is, but I, I think he's very open to trying different options in the back right now. And I say that because what was clear to me, you know, in, in listening to what Herdman had to say this week in the lead up to Cuba and also what he said at the Footy Talks event is that, you know, he understands that he got a few things wrong leading up to the Gold Cup. And he didn't necessarily say that he underestimated the Gold Cup, but I think there was an admission that, you know, he probably didn't understand the pressure that, that comes with this. So I think he's, he's open to change. I think he's open to ideas because it was, you know, it was proven throughout the gold cup that, you know, the 11 they had and the setup they had wasn't necessarily their best setup. Mm -hmm. So I think there's going to be some time over the next few weeks, months, you know, for them, for, for Herdman and his staff to figure out what that looks like. And that's why casting your net pretty wide, especially in the back is important, right? Yeah, what are, I guess, some of the keys going into that United States match? I guess you never want to look past an opponent, but what are the important points of this camp that Canada should really focus on and and try and nail down before you know those pretty crucial Nations League games, both in terms of World Cup qualifying um, and you know just in terms of the opportunity that they would have to... Uh, to make a real statement in CONCACAF by, you know, challenging one of the, the, the regular superpowers in the region? Well, they have to determine what their identity is and play to those strengths from kickoff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, watching the Mexico game and seeing how they just dropped back and, and, and kind of 
played a serious defensive shape against a Mexico team that eventually broke them down. I, I saw that as incredibly disappointing because you have a, a, a depth, and I feel like I've, I've said this the, a lot, but you have a depth of attacking talent in this roster that you haven't had maybe ever in the national team setup. So why not play to that strength, right? Like, yes, you're not a very sound defensive outfit. You might have to win four, three, three, two games, right? But that's who you are as a team. Those are the players you have, you know, and, and you wouldn't have expected Canadian national teams of the past to come out with kind of a high flying approach and a, you know, quick ball moving approach because they didn't have those players. They were, you know, heavy on kind of sturdy defensive types, right? So that was their identity and that's what they played to. So it was really disappointing for me to see how they played against Mexico like that. And, and if they treat the United States, which again is a giant of CONCACAF like that, I mean, the tactical versatility is important, but playing to your strengths is even more important. And so I look at this U.S. match as an opportunity for them to just try to just just try to use their speed and try to use their quality on the ball and their offensive talent, you know, to the best of their abilities. Because you know, there's so much talent in that American team, and I don't think sitting back is going to help them. Right. So you want them to just come out of the gates flying and and figure out who they are leading up to that. Right. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, some you know some big moments for for Canada soccer over the next couple of months in terms of the opportunity they have here. Um, I think we both alluded to it, but uh, certainly worth a watch if you haven't yet going over to Canada Soccer's YouTube page and watching the video from the Footy Talks event. Uh, John Herdman was about as candid as I've ever seen him in terms of talking about what went wrong at the Gold Cup and, and where the national team can build on from here. So uh, certainly check that out if you haven't yet. I did want to finish up by talking about your recent trip to Germany, Josh, uh, you you headed over there. What were the, uh, I guess, first off, what were some of the highlights in terms of a, a footballing sense? Uh, anything cool that you got to do while you were over there? Well, I, I mean, I have to thank my wife first and foremost for <laughs> kind of, of you know, shoehorning some, uh, some football time into what was a, a family vacation first and foremost. No, I, you know, I went over there and checked out three games, um, second division game in Heidenheim and a second division game in Nuremberg, which were both tremendous. Um, It's the first time I'd ever seen second division football in Germany. And it was, it was great for, you know, much the same reasons that, that first division football is it's, it's so community driven and it's, it's, it's an incredibly passionate group of fans watching and it's a great match day experience. Um, But yeah, the, the kind of, the highlight, I guess, was was uh, going to see Bayern play live, and and um, you know you wonder going into it if Davies can play. It seems like he's going to have more of a solidified role off the bench this year. And sure enough, he came on with about twenty to go, I think. And um, you know, I was there both as a you know as an observer and a, a journalist. And uh, yeah, he 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 looked lively, like he looked so lively off the wing and. I think we've done well to avoid the uh, Alfonso Davies at left back conversation um, so far, but it, to me, it was just another indication that he is meant to be a winger and his strengths are on the wing. And um, lucky for him to get another, it was a bit of a tap in, but it's a, his second Bundesliga goal nonetheless. And in eight appearances, that's pretty impressive 
for a Canadian teenager, um, which I think is putting it mildly. But um, I think it's a good, you know, the more time I spend there in Germany and the more games I go to, it's, it's a really, I think it's such a good fit for him because, you know, my understanding is after the kind of Gold Cup, after the disappointing Gold Cup, John Herdman spent time with players kind of ensuring that they don't lose that kind of that passion for the game and the love mm-hmm. of the game. And these are all cliches, but there's, they're important. And I think for him to be playing in a country where football matters so much and for a club, you know, that success matters so much to that city, that's important for him because it'll teach him a bit about the pressures of, of playing professional football early on and, and probably more so than he might've garnered it. He playing, you know, had he signed for a, maybe mid-table club. Um, so anyway, really, it was the first time I'd seen him play live for Bayern. Um, and he just, he he doesn't, you know, when, when he comes on for Perisic, it doesn't, it, sure, they were up by three or four at that point, but it doesn't look to me like tactically he's missing out um, the way he did last year. Last year, I, I saw him being quite tentative on the ball and, you know, starting his runs, but then moving the ball backwards. Um, he was keen to just take the ball and, and, and go with it. And that's a sign of confidence. And that's a sign of a player that is fitting into a system much better than before. So yeah, it was, it was a genuine thrill to, to watch him and obviously a genuine thrill to just to be in Germany watching, you know, watching foosball. So again, credit first and foremost to my wife for kind of allowing me to, to spend some time allowing me, uh, you know, <laughs> working that into the holiday. So yeah, great trip. Yeah, it sounds, uh, that sounds pretty awesome. And if you want a, a fully in-depth look at Alfonso Davies and uh, his spot within Bayern and the context of the Canadian men's national team as well, Josh wrote a, a pretty in-depth and great article over at The Athletic. There's some some very interesting quotes from Bayern manager Nico Kovac in, in there as well as uh, you know, like I said, just just kind of a look at uh, positionally where Alfonso Davies fits going forward, and and him within the context of that Bayern setup. So uh, a great little read, and um, but uh, I think we'll we'll bring this show to an end there. Josh, thanks so much for joining me. Yeah, anytime. And uh, thank you again to the rest of you for listening, and have a great weekend.